Please do keep your Bibles open. Uh, my name's Pete Stacey. I'm the evening pastor. It's great to be here in the morning. It's lovely. Don't you just love Gamaliel there at the end? But I think every large group of people needs a Gamaliel. That, that older voice of wisdom to restrain the young hotheads. Um, did you catch his logic of what he was saying there at the end? You see, a few religious uprisings had fizzled as soon as their leader was killed. So if this new movement is of human origin, these, these Christ followers, well, it will soon die out because Jesus, their leader, has now been killed. But if it's from God, then nothing will be able to stop them. Friends, look around you here today, here this morning. Andrew pointed out just a moment ago, we are the, the, the evidence, if you like, that this was from God along with millions and millions of people right around the globe, we still worship Jesus because he's alive. And that gospel message has continued to go out. Take heart from that. Take heart from that. We might feel like the minority sometimes, like outsiders in a shifting culture, but the reality is we are front and centre of what God is doing in the world today. I've got a portable gas stove. This is just the camping illustration for those of you that like camping. And the burner was pretty useless. So I thought it needs more gas. So I got the smallest drill bit I've got. <laughs> so presumptuous. Come on. Give me a, give me a go. I'm a musician. <laughs> so I made the gas jet a little bit wider. Connect it up, turn it on low, lit it up, and beautiful little flame. Well, little-ish. Um, put the pot of water on and then turn it up, and it just engulfed the whole thing. <laughs> As we continue our journey through the book of Acts, can you sense things heating up? <laughs> that was the connection. <laughs> ages to come up with that one. <laughs> so we've seen how the recent Lord Jesus is continuing to work in and through the apostles, transforming lives of literally thousands and thousands of people in such a short space of time. But we've also seen growing opposition, theological conflict with the Jews. Last week we looked at the moral conflict within the church. Ananias and Sapphira. And here today, jealousy and hatred and even physical uh, abuse from the religious leaders of all people. It's becoming more intense, isn't it? And the temptation is to simply turn the gas down. Stop whatever is causing the trouble. In this case, stop talking about Jesus. But the apostles, they kept speaking boldly. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And what's the result? Many people, hundreds, thousands are being saved. And the church is growing as lives are transformed by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Friends, the heat is being turned up against Jesus and his followers in Australia today. The question is, how are you and I going to respond? 
As we look at this passage, I see both great challenge and great encouragement. So let's pray as we walk through it together. Dear Father, as we look at your word now, please help us to understand it, to remember it, and obey it for our good and for your glory. Amen. In that first reading, verses 12 to 16, it's such a beautiful picture of true spirit-empowered ministry and unity in the gospel. As the apostles, the, the leaders chosen by Jesus, are doing ministry publicly and corporate in these enormous gatherings that are starting to take place. At its very beginning, Christianity is very public. My grandfather, he'd be nearly 120 if he was still alive, uh, he grew up in a generation where Christianity was well respected and accepted, but outside Sunday church attendance, Faith in Christ was, well, it was largely a, a private and personal thing. Now, we still talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus, don't we? And that's a good thing, and it's true, but it's never meant to stay personal. Imagine if I was embarrassed to talk about my dear wife, Judy, in public. How would she feel about that? You'd imagine the conversation with my own car, can't you? So why treat Jesus that way? If the apostles just had a private and personal faith, the gospel would have disappeared with them. One thing that changed the face of Christianity in Australia uh, in the uh, 1900s was the increasing number of large-scale public gospel rallies. They had singing there too, Avery, it's okay. Um, <laughs> You know, in, in the town hall, or someone's had a travelling circus tent, uh, or even in sporting arenas. And there were none more famous uh, than Billy Graham. Billy Graham. One reporter said that by the end of 1959, over a third of the population of Australia had heard the gospel by personally attending a Billy Graham crusade. Imagine that. And of course, there were many more listening on the airwaves. Suddenly, talk about Jesus was very public and open. Thousands upon thousands of Aussies heard about Jesus, repented of their sin, and put their trust in Him. Maybe someone is here today who came to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade. There you go. There you go. Come on. Um, churches grew. Bible colleges flourished as new leaders were trained. Missionaries were sent all over the world. And Jesus and his followers had a measurable impact on Australian society. So what's sort of happened since then? Well, in short, and I'm really generalising here, um, but the security of a, a large Christian population combined with an increasingly wealthy society, including Christians, and a culture that appreciated the moral benefits of Christianity, led to a lukewarm church. And over the last three to four de decades, we've seen many Christians, in fact, many churches, and even whole denominations stop proclaiming salvation in the name of Jesus and cave in to pressure 
to go silent. And we all face that pressure to keep Jesus not just personal, but private as well. We live in a day when Christianity is no longer at the, the centre of our culture. It's at the margins. You can even see it in our town planning. Older towns and suburbs have churches at the centre or on the top of the hill. Over time, they've moved out. And look at the new subdivisions now. Shell Cove, Tullinbar, Calderwood. Churches are not even welcome. Christianity is no longer respected. It's rejected. There are no benefits. If you, you wave the Jesus flag, have you noticed that? You know, if you say, uh, I love Jesus and I believe the whole Bible. What do they say at work? There's no kudos or high fives, is there? It's not, yay, that's fantastic. No, it's more like, if it works for you, that's fine. But don't try and shove that down my throat. Or, or if they're on the internet, it's probably something more like, you intolerant narrow-minded bigot or worse. Such a tolerant, open-minded comment, isn't it, by the way? And so we keep Jesus in here, but never let him out of here. Because we won't get in trouble for that. We'll fly out of the way. Look at what happens here. As the apostles are loving Jesus publicly and growing together in their faith in Jesus and in number of people, and they're supporting others in Jesus' name, healing the sick, casting out demons, caring for the poor and needy, and they're speaking the good news about Jesus, every possibility they can, thousands are responding. What happens? Verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with what does it say? Jealousy. jealousy. Have you ever felt the power of jealousy in your own heart? I have. Have you ever been hurt by jealousy in someone else? And I spare a thought for the high priest for a sec, though. Like, you've studied the law of Moses since you were a boy, and now you've uh, memorized great slabs of it, and uh, you've heard 5,000 sermons, and you've tried to obey all of them. Uh, you can recite all of the laws of your particular religious order, and you've become a temple helper, and then a public reader, and maybe prayed up the front, and, and then you become a priest, and finally, after years of the strictest self discipline, you're the high priest. And, like, seriously, two fishermen walk into church and start proclaiming some new teaching and everyone's listening to them. And, and you're jealous. I mean, fair crack of the whip. <laughs> to make things worse, they've done some astonishing miracles that you and everyone else has seen and it's, it's kind of like God likes them too. Now you're, like, mad jealous. It's one of my favourite photos of jealousy. Do, do you like that one? It's the same word. I, I have to throw it in somewhere. <laughs> These guys have got what I want. They've got the power and the popularity. And it should be mine. I deserve it. I'm entitled. Ever felt something, anything like that? Jealousy. Let me ask you a question. 
What are you jealous of? What are you jealous for? Under a lot of sins, is jealousy. Under coveting, is jealousy. Under gossip, often jealousy. Under stealing, jealousy. Sometimes under lying, there's jealousy. Sometimes under adultery, there's jealousy. You have it. I want it. Could be power, position, prominence. You can't rejoice that God has blessed them because you're so jealous of them. That happens, doesn't it? And it's ugly. And it's destructive. And it leaves a devastating trail of hurt. Friends, if you're struggling with jealousy in any way, shape, or form, at any level, can I encourage you? Come clean today. Because I'll tell you something about God. He already knows about it. And, and get this. He's been forgiving people for the sin of jealousy and helping people repent of jealousy for thousands of years. He's really good at it. So come to Him. Let Him do that wonderful work in you. Well, the apostles, back to the passage, uh, the apostles, they're in trouble for their faith. Because they've gone public instead of keeping it private. They're inviting other people to follow Jesus. And it got them thrown in jail. Public humiliation, shame, defamation. Now legal proceedings as well. What have they done wrong? We all probably want to say nothing. They were just loving Jesus, growing together, supporting others and speaking the good news. That would be good for any church, wouldn't it? Um, and it's so easy to be defensive on their behalf. To kind of want to speak out for them. Well, they speak all right, but it's not about themselves. It's all about Jesus. Now, of course, sometimes people get opposed and thrown into jail because they deserve it. Even ministers. Sometimes we all get into trouble that we deserve. But that's not what's going on here. And friends, it's a stark reminder to us that if we're going to follow Jesus, there is no guarantee of a smooth ride or a trouble-free life. Jesus suffered unjustly. The apostles in this passage, they're suffering unjustly. Thousands upon thousands of Christians throughout history have suffered unjustly. Why should we expect anything different? Do you ever feel the need for some light relief? Well, I think this next bit's hilarious. Look at what happens. God sends an angel to bust them out. I mean... You know, imagine doing an interview of a line of angels. Hey, angels, what, what's your job? I'm in the choirs of heaven. Oh, I play the harp. Oh, I shine the pearly gates. Um, I bust Christians out of jail. <laughs> Classic, isn't it? Why are they there? Because they've been talking about Jesus. What does the angel tell them to do? Talk about Jesus. Where? In the temple. Who works there? The priests and the Sadducees. What will they do? Probably throw you back in jail. <laughs> Have you ever been to a seminar or a course 
in sharing your faith. And, um, you know, we talk about the fears that we have and openly talk about, about Jesus. And they're, they're real fears, uh, but they are fears. Uh, and how long, can I ask you this question, how long does it take you to have a go and start talking and be a witness for Jesus with our words? Look at verse 21. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. God says that they do it from the moment the day starts. It's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? Every day, here's an idea. Every day when you wake up, which I hope is every day, um, why not begin with a quick prayer? Dear God, please help me to be quick to obey you today. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Oh, and while you're there, why not read something in his word so that you've got something to obey? Be a great start today, wouldn't it? The funny thing is that at the same moment, while they're out there, in a back room somewhere in the temple, the high priest and the whole Sanhedrin have gathered for the trial and they send guards to get them, verse 22. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Tell you what, that angel, he knows what he's doing, hey? <laughs> he's highly skilled in the jail breakout thing. What a great, no, no trail of anything. But what an awkward moment. What an awkward moment. So guards in those days, they could be executed for letting a prisoner escape. But there's no evidence of a breakout. There's just there's no apostles. And they're baffled until another bloke runs in and says, hey, they're in the temple courts. What are they doing? They're talking about you. Don't say that name. <laughs> you see, the apostles feared God more than people. And they spoke about Jesus. The religious leaders, they actually had it around the other way. See verse 26. God isn't mentioned at all, but who are they afraid of? afraid of the people, that the people might stone them because the apostles are quite popular at this point. Friends, do we look and behave more like the apostles of Jesus or the religious leaders who hated him? Do we fear and obey God rather than people? But when they had brought them, verse 27, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them. Okay, you've got to kind of picture furrowed brown pointing finger here. We strictly charged you. Now, this was clear. It's in the minutes. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. What name? He can't even say the name of Jesus. And then he blames the apostles for making him feel guilty for Jesus to. We're not really meant to like these guys, are we? But look at how Peter responds. There's a bunch of people in front of me, and they might not know Jesus yet. Hey, I'll, tell, I'll preach. <laughs> and in verses 30 to 32, get this. He covers the death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus, throws in the forgiveness of sins, and the promise of the Holy Spirit for those who believe. Not bad for 30 seconds. Not bad for a bloke who had denied Jesus three times and gone into hiding. See the transforming power of God's Holy Spirit at work here. I love it. 
Let me give you the timeline. Sermon. Arrested. Released. Another sermon. Arrested again. Told not to preach. Sermon. And then, you know, we had the Gamaliel bit. And then flogged. And then released. And you guessed it. Sermon. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I heard a talk on this passage when I was in my early teens. And I can't remember a lot of it. But I still remember the preacher saying, yeah, the apostles were flogged and warned not to speak in the name. So Peter and John, this is the, the, the phrase I remember, Peter and John, not being very, uh, so not being particularly cooperative, went out and said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And in his mercy, God saved thousands of souls for him. Now I hope we're all deeply encouraged and moved and challenged to keep speaking the good news about Jesus wherever and whenever we have an opportunity. Even though the heat of opposition uh, was rising, just like in Australia today, the apostles kept talking about Jesus. Their faith was deeply personal, but it wasn't private. It was there for all to see and hear. Even when they were falsely accused and publicly humiliated, they still talked about Jesus at every opportunity. Even when they suffered because of the jealousy of others, they kept talking about Jesus. And so must we. And as we finish, I think there's one more thing worth noticing. The apostles were flogged and ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus. And verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin grumbling because their backs were red raw for no reason they'd wasted so much time in jail. <laughs> That's not what it says, but it's probably something like what I feel or say. They left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. They were proclaimers, not protesters. Promoting Jesus, not protecting self. Friends, it's highly likely that if you leave here today and start talking about Jesus more openly, more frequently, you'll be opposed and ridiculed, rejected, maybe demoted, maybe even fired, especially if you play rugby, um, <laughs> and even physically harmed or imprisoned or in some countries killed. So who wants to become a Christian? <laughs> So many believers are so ill-equipped for what it's truly the Christian life. Because, because we're told that you know, God loves you and He'll bless you. And that's true. But not everybody will love you. And not everybody will bless you. In fact, some will hate you and treat you like Jesus was treated. And that, my friends, is the Christian life. As the heat is turned up against Jesus and His followers in Australia, the question is, how are you and I going to respond? My prayer is that we'll follow those who first followed Christ. Verse 42. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, in other words, wherever you and I go in the normal routines teens of our lives, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The one that God sent into the world to save sinners so that we can be with Him forever. 
Jesus said, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Friends, let's get on with the mission. Amen. Amen.